0: Welcome to Sports Spectrum, the sports and faith podcast that brings Jesus back into the conversation. Here's your host, Jason Romano.
1: This episode of the Sports Spectrum podcast with Covenant College men's basketball coach Neil Young is brought to you by Compassion International, $38 a month releasing a child from poverty. Food, education, medical care, vocational training, all done in the name of Jesus, your chance to make a difference and imagine how far $38 could go every single month. How about releasing a child from poverty? And this is your chance to do that with the great folks at Compassion International, the most trusted child development ministry in the world. Go to Compassion.com slash Sports Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum and sponsor a child today. Today's guest on the podcast is Neil Young. And Neil is the head coach head men's basketball coach at Covenant College in Georgia. Covenant College is a Division III school, actually near Chattanooga, Tennessee, with a Georgia address. And this is the beauty of this podcast that I love so much. Yes, I love talking to people who are big names on the podcast. We recently talked to Dansby Swanson from the Braves, Benjamin Watson from the Saints, just really big names with amazing stories to tell. And then there's Neil Young. And when you hear Neil Young, you probably think of music. And this is not that Neil Young. But Neil Young, his story is just as important as my story or your story or Benjamin Watson's story or Dansby Swanson's story or Tim Tebow's story or Tony Dungy's story. Neil Young has a story to share and it's a powerful one. He's in his second year now coaching at Covenant College and he actually tied the school rec- record record. For single season winning percentage in his first season last year, he was a former Goshen College in Indiana basketball coach for four seasons. Now within a month of getting that first head coaching job at Goshen, Neil found out he had cancer. He remained as the head coach, but in the process of going through chemo treatments, he suffered from severe depression. And so in this podcast, we talk about what it was like to find out he had cancer and then how, in August of 2013, he died and then came back to life. And you'll hear that story in a little bit. But we talk about fear and doubt. Walking away from Christ, is that even a possibility? Or are you walking toward him when cancer comes? A lot of people go into a depression, sort of mental illness state, and that's exactly what happened with Neil. So how did he deal with that? Great stuff here from Neil, and I really just wanted to hear it from a coaching perspective. This is a leader of men. This is a coach in college basketball, trusting in Jesus and walking through a very difficult season of life. So take a listen to the powerful story of Neil Young, Covenant College men's basketball coach here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Neil, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks, Jason. It's exciting to be here.
1: Yeah, it's good to talk to you, Neil, and I'm excited to kind of learn about your journey, and I know it's been one that's been somewhat of a roller coaster for you, but let's start with Covenant College and kind of how you came about getting that position and what it's been like the last year and a half or so, I guess, since you've been with the squad. Uh, now you're in your second season. How are things going with Covenant College?
0: Yeah, it's, it's been really good, you know, um, you know, getting the job as a whirlwind, so i I didn't get hired until August uh, 2017, which is really, really late um, to to hire a basketball coach. My my AD called me on a Friday. I was on family vacation, just kind of getting ready to, to to go back and and really get into the the 2017 2018 season at Goshen College, where I was previously. Called me on a Friday. Went really well. Phone interview on Wednesday. Flew down there Thursday. Interviewed on campus Friday. Um and then accepted the job on Saturday and told my team Saturday afternoon. Um, so it was it was just a really, really quick process. Um, my AD 10 schedule was like a hiring wizard and how quick you can get that stuff done sometimes. Um, you know, but, but it was great. Moved down here um, about three or four weeks after I accepted the job, You know, started looking for a house and, and trying to get some stuff situated. But year one was really good. Um, one of my friends, Artie Culver, had the job previously. Um, he left to take a job at Vanderbilt, and then uh, a guy by the name of Kyle Taylor, um, who was at Idaho as an assistant, um, had it before him. And those two guys, I mean, they, they just really did a good job. And so I inherited a really good group that had been coached, you know, and that just really understood uh, how to do things right. And so it was it was a really good situation to step in. We had a good year, um, and then this year got off to a rough start, um, but then got into a group and got on a little bit of a streak, and so this year's kind of turned around and we're, we're turning in the right direction.
1: How hard is that? You know, that happens a lot in college sports, and honestly in any job. I mean, we all have had different jobs throughout our lives. How hard is that to to have that conversation with the players at your former college and your former job and tell them, hey, um, God is calling me somewhere else? How, how difficult was that for you to have that conversation?
0: Tough. It was incredibly difficult, and and, and the crazy thing is it's like, you know, I knew I was making the right decision. You know, I tell people all the time it was was really easy to leave to take the job at Covenant just because I knew so many things lined up. It was very evident um, that that's where God had had called our family, my wife and I, and and our, our two little ones at the time. But it was very, very difficult to leave your team, and I think it should be. I think I don't I don't care where you're at as a coach, it should always be really difficult to lead your team and, and it was certainly certainly difficult for me. Um, it was very it was a very emotional um, conversation and, and it, it was tough. But 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 ever since then it's 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 been good and, and we, we know we're in the right spot and, and what God has for us right now for sure.
1: Was coaching something you
0: always wanted to do, Neil? It is. You know, I, I grew up in Muncie, Indiana. And so if you're familiar with Muncie, you know, Ball State. Um, you know, so I, I grew up in Indiana, basketball country, but I was never an IU or a Purdue or a Butler guy when I, mean, I was a Ball State Cardinal fan. Hmm. And so that was my team. And that was back in the early mid-90s when Mac basketball was just, I mean, it was the real deal. You had guys like Gary Trent, um, you had guys like Earl Boykins, Wally Zerbiak. And in Ball State, we had a pro too, Bonzi Wells. Yeah, um, you know, and, and so it was just so. And I just grew up going to all those games. I mean, I just I never missed a game. Um, and 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 as I watched those games, and it was like, man, like those guys are really, really good. They're really big. They're really strong. They're really fast. I don't know if I can do what they do, but then I would always find myself kind of drawn to the sidelines. Um, you know, and watching the coaches, and I was like, man, I think I might be able to do that, though. <laughs> All I know is I just want to be a part of this atmosphere um, of college athletics. And, and so, yeah, I've been drawn to coaching um, ever since I was little. Um, and it's just kind of always been what I really wanted to do, for sure.
1: Neil Young is our guest here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Covenant College men's basketball coach. How often do you get riled about your name you know, just saying Neil Young joins us here on the podcast. And I'm like, nope, not not that Neil Young, a different Neil Young. That must have been something that you got riled with, riled uh, from your friends and family
0: for a long time. Oh, no question. It's funny. So, like, um, you know, we've obviously talked a little bit before this. And when I found out um, you were going to have me on, my wife was scrolling through your podcast, previous podcast, and she was listening off. All these big name guests and kind of the who who, and she was like, "Man, they're gonna think you're the singer. Like they're gonna they're gonna think it's that one." Um, and I was like, "Well, I hope they do think it's that one. Otherwise, they're not gonna listen, and that's gonna hurt his numbers." And so, you know, hopefully it, it, we can use that to our advantage a little bit. But yeah, it's it's pretty much every day, um, which is okay. It's it's, it's fun. I, I have fun with it. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it, it certainly. You know, gives gives me kind of a a unique way to be able to start conversations with people for sure.
1: Hey, if people listen to this podcast thinking it's the other Neil Young and somehow they get a little Jesus in their life, then what's wrong with that, right? (laughs) What is wrong with that? you got to take it any way you can get it, man. That's right. And speaking of that, actually, why don't you share with us your testimony, your faith walk and kind of where Christ started to become Lord of your life and when you
0: made Jesus your Savior? Yeah, so um I, when I was really little, um, I think I was like I can't remember my mom my mom wouldn't know all the details, but I think I was like, you know, five or six, like little. Um, you know, I, my grandma ran vacation bible school at my church growing up. Um, and so I was in there all the time, every session. And so I was little and I, I just came in and asked my mom and said, Mom, I I wanna Jesus come into my heart, will you pray with me? And so you know she prayed with me. You know she was, was I was really little, but um, it wasn't until honestly Jason, to where I, when I moved out of my house and went to college, mm. that's where it all changed. Um, that's when I really started to take ownership of it because um, I had to. You know when you go off to college, you've got to make that choice. You know is it is not you can't you can't ride on the coattails of anyone else's faith anymore. I mean my mom is not coming to my dorm room at Ball State my freshman year to wake me up and make sure I'm in church. Um, so you really got to make a decision. And I was, I was fortunate enough to get connected with some uh, some really good guys, you know, Christian guys. But, but it was kind of the first time in my life that I'd ever been around anybody that was like really, like really doing it as far as like living for Christ and really passionate about their faith and unashamed and just – just doing it, you know what I mean. And, it, and it's when you when you're around people with authentic faith, there's just an energy, um, and and it's just a it's just it's something different. And so that's when I was like, man, you know, I do, I want this. This is what I want. And I'm gonna I'm gonna really try to to take ownership of my faith and and really try to grow. And, and obviously, it hasn't been a straight line of growth from that point until now. But that's when it really really started for me, for sure.
1: In 2013, you get your first head coaching position in college, like you mentioned earlier, at Goshen College, and it's an NAIA Division II school in Indiana, and some circumstances happened immediately after that that really probably changed your life forever, but before we get to that moment, just a few days after, take us to the process of becoming a head coach and kind of what led to you getting that first job, that first opportunity to be the
0: head man. Yeah, for sure, so... So I, I graduated from Anderson University in 2008 and knew I wanted to be a coach. Um, I was getting married that summer um, to my my now wife Maggie. Been married uh, ever since then, um, but knew I wanted to coach. And so, you know, there's no coaching major, and so ended up majoring in education, which was really good for me. But just started emailing. And calling everybody, basically just begging for a job. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I wasn't familiar with Hoop Dirt at the time. That would have that would have helped me out a little bit, it made it a little easier, maybe. But just just trying to get my name out there, just trying to connect. And um, a guy named Gary Chup at Goshen College was one of the few to respond. Um, and, and I emailed. I mean. Everybody in Indiana at every level, everybody in Ohio, everybody in Michigan. I'm working my way through Illinois. And he responds, and he's just like, hey, I'm, I'm looking for a guy. And I was like, great. Um, and so I went up there, interviewed. He offered me the job, um, and it paid $4,000. <laughs> and you would have thought that he offered me a job for $4 million, by how excited I was <laughs> to get that job offer um, and it, it was just it was great. I still remember the phone call when he offered me the job. Um, and then it was before we got married, but my you know, my wife was there. We were really excited. Um and it was great. And so we got married in July when our honeymoon came back and started coaching I coached at Goshen as an assistant for three years and then went to Lewis University, uh Division Two uh, by Chicago for two years and worked for uh Scouts Roast. Um, still a coach there, really successful coach and, and had a chance to work with a guy by the name of Adam DeMond, who's now with Under Armour and, and really helped me a lot. Um, so I was there for two years. And then right after I got my master's, cause I was the GA there, right after I got my master's, the guy who hired me at Goshen, uh, had decided to resign and take a high school athletic director position in the AD at Goshen. We actually both started on the same day. So when I when I got hired as an assistant, he had got hired as the AD there. We both started on the same day. It was in the it was in the summer. We were just kind of the only two in there, you know. A lot of the times, and we built a really good relationship. And he uh, he took a chance on me, and he, and he hired me. So I got hired uh, April 2013 um, as a head coach at Goshen, and, and again was just was thrilled. It was I was I Never expected to have the opportunity to be a head coach uh, at that point in my career, but it was, it was really good.
1: And then the highest of highs, sometimes, you know, I always tell people when you're a follower of Christ, really anybody, but when you're a follower of Christ, it isn't all, um, you know, sunshine and and pretty flowers. Things happen, trials happen, stuff comes at us. And Mm -hmm. for you, it came at you in a pretty big way. Can you tell us what happened? Yeah.
0: Um, So got the job April 2nd, 2013, was moving to Goshen May 31st. And a couple of days before we moved, I went to the doctor because I was kind of had a little cold. Um, nothing major, but just I went to the doctor because I was like, no, I need to get some medicine. Moving's terrible enough as it is, let alone if you're sick. I need to try to get a little a Z pack or something. And so I went to the doctor, um, and I had a little, I had like a dry cough. And I guess, you know, that symptom didn't match other symptoms of uh, the doctor. Doctor Kato, I still remember his name. Mm-hmm. Um, did a chest X-ray, um, and chest X-ray came back, and I had like a mass. It showed like a, a mass in my chest, mm-hmm. um, but he, he didn't know what it was. There was a a list of things that it could have been, and you know, cancer was like the last thing on the list, and you know, I didn't mm-hmm. think there's there's no way it was cancer, um, and so ended up moving. May 31st, that morning, I had got gotten a, a biopsy on it because X-ray MRI to biopsy, that's kind of a progression, and then on June 3rd, so, you know, four days after we moved, um, I got the phone call from Dr. Katua saying uh, it was T-cell lymphoblastic lymphoma, um, and then he immediately put me on the line with Dr. Wendy Stock, who is awesome, um, and she uh, we talked for 20 minutes and started
1: streaming the next day. So it was it was crazy, it was mm. crazy. Uh, a couple days after, I, I, I want to walk through this progression with you now, obviously, to where we are. But really, the initial news that you find out, you're married, obviously. Maggie, you mentioned your wife is with you when you find out this news. Walk us through the emotions you're feeling, uh, where faith plays a role in this. Because I tell people all the time, even if you're – the most devout follower of Christ, when you get news like that, man, it's hard. And some people I know even have walked away from God when they get news like that, and others walk and run, I should say, towards Him. Take us through the emotions in the immediate aftermath after finding out that you had cancer.
0: Yeah, you know, I, my wife and I were actually talking about this last night. You know, we don't, we don't really reflect back on this time of our life much, mm. Um you know we in in and when we do it's it's it, we, we try to we try not to reflect necessarily back on the emotion uh, that came along with it. It's just kind of more the results of a lot of things, but yeah yeah, I, I still remember getting a call i was in you we were in a furniture store. Sofa Select was the name of the furniture <laughs> store. And you gotta understand. So my first five years of coaching, right? I made a combined thirty two thousand dollars. And so <laughs> raking
1: in the dough, guy. Neil, raking in the just,
0: dough. <laughs> just raking it in. No and my wife was a teacher. Yeah. Um and so then I get this job and it's small college, so I'm not I'm not making anything still, but it's I mean at least you know, kind of like what a teacher in that realm. And so my wife and my wife and I, we didn't have kids at the time. We're just like, I think we're rich. You know, (laughs) I think we might be rich now. Right. And so, you know, maybe we should go get a couch that doesn't, you know, have lumps in it and stab you when you sit certain places. And so we're at this, what we would have considered like a nice furniture store. And I'm sitting in like this $7,000 recliner, um, that we would never buy. But, um, you know, so I, I like to joke that I got the worst news of my life when I was sitting in the best chair I've ever sat in, and so maybe that's what made it a little easier to take. But I, I, I want to—I can't act like I had this super holy response. It was just—I just remember hearing it, and my wife could hear as well. She could kind of hear it through the phone. It wasn't on speaker, but she could hear. Hmm. And, it, and my wife just kind of immediately. Um, immediately just kind of broke down um it was honestly the only time throughout the whole process that she ever broke down which is amazing to think Mm. about yeah um but just immediately and i remember in that moment i just wanted to make her feel better that was just kind of just kind of like an instinctual thing and so for whatever reason there was just from the second i got diagnosed i just knew i just had a, a very strong sense of like this is just part of the journey. You know, this is, this isn't the end. This is just part. You know, this is just something that we have to get through. And so I wasn't fearful in any way of, uh, in terms of like dying. Um, you know, and, and I don't know, you know, if, if that was from God, I don't know. Um, I, I think so. Um, I think he, he kinda gave me that piece. I think, you know, it sure sounds like the piece that passes understanding to me. Um but you know, I just I just wanted to make sure everybody knew I, I was gonna be okay. And so I you know, for me it didn't really start to get tough until the treatment started to wear on me. Um it was it was almost more of a you know, a annoyance because I was just like, Man, I just got this job, like got a lot of work to do, gotta recruit, gotta do this, gotta do that. Um, now I gotta go get treatment and blah, blah, blah. Um, but but honestly it was just kind of like a okay, like this is what it is. You know, like this isn't the end. This is just kind of it's gonna be a, a chapter in the story, you know, our story, my yeah. story. Um, and was just kind of able to to kinda of react like that, which which, you know, I'm I'm thankful for that. It was it was it was very helpful.
1: Did you ever allow, um, you know, fear or doubt? I know you said that you never kind of feared uh, dying, I guess, or or using even that word. But what did you ever have those moments even just by yourself where you were kind of like, all right, this, you know, maybe it was during chemo or just having those quiet moments Mm -hmm. when fear or doubt might have crept in at all?
0: No question. I mean, doubt for sure. Like, I mean, chemo just it just just ravages your body. Yeah. Um, you know, and so it got to a point where the chemo had just really worn me down. I was, I was suffering from depression and even, you know, the doubt was just like, man, is this ever going to end? Like, am I, am I, going to, like, am I ever going to get back to what I was? Am I ever going to have energy? You know, am I ever going to have enthusiasm? Am I ever going to, am I ever going to be able to coach the way that I, I want to coach? Am I ever going to be able to you know, go work out or mow our lawn or kind of be the quote-unquote, like, man of the house and everything to be able to, like, protect my wife. I mean, certainly those doubts for sure happen just because, you know, when you, when you feel that weak and that just down and you're kind of in that dark place, I mean, it's doubt is a, is a very, very real thing. It was a very real part of my experience for sure.
1: You mentioned earlier that you never really worried about uh, or thought about, I guess, death in that way because uh, you got that piece that passes all understanding. But as I was reading up on your story, in a way, death actually did come into play a couple months <laughs> later. Right? What happened there?
0: Yeah, yeah. This was it was, it was pretty pretty wild. So, uh, you know, I was going to get treatment, and there was one drug in my treatment plan. It's called pegasparginase. I can't spell it, but I can say it. Um, <laughs> And it it's just, it's unbelievably powerful. Like, you know, my treatment plan was, was about two and a half years. And in that two and a half years, I was only supposed to get that drug four times because it's just, it's so powerful. Right. And it's, you know, some people are just really, really sensitive to it. And so the first time I got it, um, nothing really happened. Um, and then the second time I got it, I kind of like felt like I had like a slight allergic reaction, got a little itchy, felt a little weird, um, just kind of weird. And then the third time I got it, I literally went into cardiac arrest and my heart stopped for two minutes. Wow. Um, and, you know, obviously I wasn't legally pronounced dead, right. um, but in a way I I died. And so, you know, I still remember they, they kind of injected it. My, my nurse walked out of the room. And instantly it was just like, uh oh, like something's not right. And so I pushed the nurse call button and Natalie, my nurse, it was awesome. Um, to this day, just, I mean, she's an awesome, awesome person. Um, she walked in and she was like, Hey, what's up? And I, I was trying to get up and she said, I don't remember this, but she said, I just kind of started to say something and then my words just kind of slurred and then my eyes rolled back and I just, I just passed out. And the next thing I know, I wake up and there's, you know, 20, 30 people around just surrounded, just working on me. Um, and it was, it was a pretty, it was pretty crazy. Um, spent a couple of days in ICU, um, you know, and, and ended up just recovering fine. But, you know, what I was told was that, you know, the drug was so powerful that my body just kind of developed an, an, an allergy to it. Um, as I got at those other times and then just basically just completely shut down once it got into my system that third time. And um, and so, yeah, that was, that was an interesting experience for sure. It was, it was crazy.
1: That is, you know, the Bible says to die to ourselves daily, but that's going to a whole nother level, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My
0: wife, I had, I, you know, I, I try to, you know, I like to joke around and, you know, I'm a little sarcastic and, you know, I love, love a good science thought episode. So I was Trying to joke about it after the fact, and my wife was not not think those jokes were very funny. Um, You know, but it was uh, yeah, it was an interesting experience, sir. It, It puts me in some some unique company in terms of people that have had that experience, no doubt.
1: So you said it was at a couple years of getting chemo. That sounds like a long time. And I mean, certainly, I'm, for, I'm sure for you going through that, it was a long time. But tell us about the treatment process and take us to where you are now and how your health is now.
0: Yeah, so when I got diagnosed, I started treatment the next day. Um, and I was, I was in the hospital for 10 straight days getting chemo. Um, from what I remember, I believe it was every day. And then they sent me home after that. And then I, I came back once a week for a year. Um, and that, it was a little over a year really, but that was the time and it was just, it was just brutal. Um, mm. just that just kind of progressively just took its toll on me. Um, you know, a lot of, got admitted to the hospital a few times. And so when you take, you know, getting chemo, if you get a fever, it can be really, really bad and, and go sideways in a hurry. So that happened a couple of times and, you know, had to, had to get, you know, multiple blood transfusions. And it was just, it was just a lot, you know, driving. You know, my treatment was in Chicago. We lived in Goshen. It's about two hours away, you know, so driving two hours each way once a week, Um, you know, just more on you. And then after that, um, it was once every 30 days for a little over a year after that. And that's when I kind of started to kind of get the energy back and kind of climb out of the, the depression once it was a lot less frequent. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it was, it was difficult for sure. I mean, there was some really, really tough times, really dark times. And then it got to the point where, I mean, it was, I couldn't, we had a basement, you know, our, our, you know, washer and dryer was in our basement and I couldn't even make it up and down the stairs to help with the laundry. Um, I couldn't walk by myself. I couldn't walk to the end of our driveway to get the paper Mm -hmm. and bring it back. Um you know i was I was basically t- just completely dependent on my wife and other people to help me get from A to B and it was just you know, there was, was a long stretch where we it just like wake up, you know, do everything you can to get out to the couch, and then that's kind of my spot for the day and just kind of go deep into the Netflix vault and just kind of wait for mags my my wife's name is mag I called mags uh, wait for mag's to get home from school. Um and just kinda of hang out for the rest of the night on the couch, go back to bed. Say, it was it was tough, you know. Um I tried to coach. Um, you know, that was that was more me kinda, you know, being ignorant to what was coming. You know, ignorance was bliss for a while, yeah. um, you know, until until it caught up with me, but ended up having to take a leave uh nineteen games in for that season, didn't finish out the year. Um, and that was that was tough. Um you know, but then that next season was was certainly better with it only being once every thirty days.
1: So, how is your health now? How are you doing
0: now? now is great um you know it's it's this I'm kinda at the spot now where it's this is the spot that I always wondered if I was ever gonna get to you know, just where I'm excited about life, I have enthusiasm, I have energy. Um, you know, I'm, I'm I'm able to exercise. I'm able to play with my kids. I'm able to be active. Um, you know, just my health is good. It's it's just really good, and just feel, you know, just unbelievably fortunate um, to to just every day that I get healthy. It's just a good day. Um, you know, even if we lose or have a bad practice, it's just it's a good day. Yeah. You know, when you can wake up and do what you love and do it with energy and enthusiasm and exercise and you kinda you know, I've got two little kids and start chasing them chasing them around. It's just there was there was a time when I just doubted and you mentioned doubt earlier. It's like, man, no, am I ever gonna be able to play with my son or yeah. my kids? And um, you know, so it's it's good now. It's just no complaints at all.
1: What was the biggest lesson you learned, Neil? During the cancer battle, the fight, even the to, to diagnosis, and it could be faith-based or it just could be something that it's practical that you implement into your life. But what's what's the biggest lesson that you take away now that you look back, and it's
0: been what five years now? Yeah, you know that that's the question. I just funny as I was talking to my, to my wife last I was like, I know he's going to ask me this question. I was like, you got to think about it, um, you know. And and so we were talking, and it was like, man, when when you're in it. Um, you know, when we were going through it, my wife and I, you know, and, and, it, and it is a we, I mean, we, we went through it together. I mean, I had cancer, but 100%, I mean, she was she was right there with me. And in a lot of ways, I think just from a practical standpoint, what I learned was how much more difficult it is for the, the ones who's not sick. Um, because when, when you're the one who's sick, you just, there's no expectations of you other than to just be sick. Right. And so... I would wake up every day and I would just go out on the couch and I will just be sick. And it was just, I was just trying to get from one day to the next. Whereas my wife, now she's doing everything. So she's got her, she's teaching still. She's doing her thing in the classroom. Then she's got to do everything around the house. I mean, she's got to take care of me. I'm on her mind. And, and she can't really do anything for me, um, you know, just to, in terms of to, to make me better obviously she supported me and loved me through that. And that was huge. But, you know, just, you know, I think a lot of times the, the other person can be forgotten when it comes to the support. Um, and so that's one thing I learned is just how much those you know, the, the, the members of the family who aren't sick, just, just also need that support because they're going through it too. Um, you know, but, but really, um, Learned a lot, continuing to learn a lot. I think when I was going through it, it changes you, and you don't realize that at the time. It's one of those things where you don't really know what's going on and how you're changing until you're through it and you look back. Right. Um, and so, for sure, the, the perspective just that I have about a lot of things is, is different now than it was there. You know, I, I don't get... Um, I don't get as bothered by just like little things anymore. Um, you know, and my players may they could differ on that comment, <laughs> but um, but just you know, just a little life inconveniences—they um, don't register like they used to. Um, and, and and one one thing I've really come to appreciate is when I went through cancer and then depression and treatment and all that stuff. It gave me. It opened up, kind of. Different groups of people that I can now um, connect with yeah. and now relate to. You know, I didn't know what it was like to go through cancer. I didn't know what it was like to be depressed. I mean, I was totally ignorant to mental illness in general. Yeah. Um, and I thought being depressed just meant you were sad and like, well, just stop being sad. But then I got the chance to experience it, you know. And so now that's that's allowed me to connect just on a real level with other people that are going through mental illness, particularly when I, you know, if and when I have players that do that. And it's just, it's been so good to, to have those different groups of people that previously I, I didn't really couldn't connect with, didn't really have anything for just, you know, what, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how, you know, what, what they might need. And, and now to be able to to kind of speak that language with those people that are currently in those situations has just been, been really good. Um, and, and so I guess one thing I learned was just any any trial or hardship that we go through, you know, outside of the personal growth you experience, it also now allows you to connect with a different group of people that you previously couldn't connect with on that level. And so, you know, even when you know, I coach some teams, you know, at Doshiny and we didn't have great records. You know, and now I look back and it's like, yeah, okay. Well, now I know what it's like to lose. And so now I can connect with coaches who are losing. And I know what it's like to be depressed. And I know what it's like to go through cancer. And so, yeah. you know, just, just kind of having that that view of just hard times in general. Like, okay, well, this is what it's like. I, I, don't, I can't forget this, you know, because when, when God gets me through this, you know, I'm going to be able to connect with some people and then hopefully help some people because of this. And so that was, that was big. And, and then honestly, Jason, it gave me a kind of a urgency to engage in discipleship that just wasn't there before. Yeah. Um, you know, discipleship to me was an add-on before my cancer experience. And it was, it was more just about me trying to do what I wanted to do and then trying to convince God to bless that as opposed to, you know, just, just, you know, I know that life is short, you know, like, you know, I I know that I'm not invincible. You know, I know that, you know, I could go for a checkup and it could be back at any time. And so it's like, you just kind of, you develop this sense of urgency of like, man, I, I can't waste any more days. You know, I need, mean, and since so that's been probably the biggest positive is just that, that sense of urgency that this whole thing developed in me. And it's not like it happened right away, but looking back, 100%, it was in large part due to that experience.
1: Neil, let's close with this. Leave us with a Bible verse, uh, message from the Word, something that's encouraging you lately or has encouraged you or maybe encouraged you during your, your cancer fight. Um, that's been something that we can here and and be an encouragement to our listeners from the Bible,
0: yeah, it's, it's, you know interesting you asked me that because we've been, we've been talking about that a lot as a team, just kind of like different scriptures and and um and and the one that our team is is really torn into right now is is john fifteen four and five mm. um, just remaining me and I and you. The branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever remains in me and I in him, it is, it is he that, that bears much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. And that's just this idea of, you know, sometimes we get so caught up in the pursuit of the fruit, right? Um, and, and sometimes it's Christian even we can get it backwards and feel like we're called to bear fruit. But, you know, really we're not. We're called to remain in him. And we're called to do everything we can to just pour into that connection. Um, and just remain and remain and remain, no matter what happens, remain, remain, remain. And then what happens is he then does he does the heavy lifting for us. You know, he he bears the fruit in us. You know, we don't have to bear it in ourselves. And and that's just been really powerful for me lately. I think it's it's been really powerful for our team. And you know, I listen to Um, you know, another one of your podcasts previously, there's a a coach um, who was talking about just like basically what he was describing was just like a desperation for God every day. And I think, you know, that's what we're trying to produce. And that, you know, that's what this verse really kind of gets at to me. It's just like, man, you got to be desperate to remain in the vine because that's where it's at. It's not in us striving to do all these things out of our own abilities, you know, not that, not that working hard is bad, but working hard apart from just that intense desire to remain, um, ultimately it's just, it's not going to be fruitful. And so, um, that's just been really tough for me. It's, it's been, you know, you know, I think it's been some of our guys have really been pressing into. And, and so hopefully that can, can kind of encourage somebody.
1: It's really good. He is Neil Young, the Covenant College men's basketball coach. I should also add the title, Cancer Survivor, which is probably the more important title. Neil, thanks for joining us here on the podcast. Been great to get to know you, to learn about your journey, and I'm sure this won't be the last time that we'll talk or interact. Thanks for being a part of the podcast, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks a lot, Jason. And many thanks to Neil Young. He's the Covenant College men's basketball coach, Division Three school, near Chattanooga, Tennessee in Georgia. And we appreciate Neil for sharing his story and his powerful testimony of overcoming cancer and trusting in Jesus on the Sports Spectrum podcast. You can follow Neil on Twitter. Give him a follow over at coach underscore young at coach underscore young. And uh, Neil's got a great story. And again, give him a, a tweet, let him know that you heard his story here on the podcast. And we'll be wishing him nothing but the best. The good news is we taped this in December and he reached out to me right after we finished taping at the end of December uh, to tell me that the prognosis is all great and the checkups are great and he went to the doctors and there's no uh, sign of any cancer and so he's uh, A-OK and his health continues to be one that is cancer-free, which is tremendous news, certainly as he heads into uh, the holiday season, into the new year here in 2020. Nineteen. So thanks to Neil for joining us on the podcast. We also thank you for listening. Again, you can reach us on Twitter, at Sports underscore Spectrum. We're also on Facebook and Instagram as well. We'd love to hear from you. Tag us. Let us know that you heard the podcast. We'll retweet you and, and share and, and let others know that you're listening to our shows here at Sports Spectrum. You can also email me with any ideas for guests, jason at SportsSpectrum.com, jason at sportspectrum. Com. also want to encourage you to subscribe to our magazine. It's $18 for an entire year. Get you the Sports Spectrum magazine. The cornerstone, the foundation of this ministry started with a magazine back in 1985. And that magazine is still going strong here in 2019. $18 for an entire year. Dirt Cheap. Go subscribe. SportsSpectrum.com. That's the website. SportsSpectrum.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time right here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Have a great rest of your day.